Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast where we dig into God's Word together and find life through Jesus Christ. My name is Ben Blakey. It's Friday, the 24th of July, 2020. Mowage. Mowage is what brings us together today. Yes, that is a famous line from the classic film, The Princess Bride. And I have restrained myself from ever actually opening a real wedding with that line. But I opened today's podcast with that because it's true of what we are reading in the scriptures today. Because we will look at the the longest instructive passage where God is speaking directly to husbands and wives about marriage in the entire Bible. And that is Ephesians chapter 5, where today we're reading verses 15 through 33. But verses 22 through 33 in that section are focused on the subject of marriage and God's plan for marriage. And I think we're going to learn a lot from that today. The first thing even that I want you to notice is God says wives in verse 22. And then in verse 25, he says, husbands. Never in this text does he say couples. And just one thing I want you to draw from that is that God is speaking individually to people, instructing individual people on how they should act. And that really provides an important principle that that is essential to understanding God's plan for marriage. And and I see the breakdown of this, unfortunately, too often doing marriage counseling with people uh, within the church over the last many, many years. And, And what happens inevitably is people come in and it's a big exercise in finger pointing. And saying, well, my husband's doing this. Or, well, my wife keeps saying this. And just back and forth and back and forth. And each person basically coming in with the assumption that if I could fix the problem with the other person, things would be fine. Well, what I want want you to notice is that God wants to start by taking that finger and pointing it at yourself. He wants to say, wives, what are you doing? Are you doing what I have called you to do? Husbands, what are you doing? Are are you doing what I have called you to do? And today, if you're thinking about your own marriage, I would encourage you to think about yourself. Again, not in a selfish way, but in a self-examining way. That if you are listening to this and you are married, then you are either a husband or a wife. And so instead of camping out in the other section on what your spouse, you think your spouse is doing wrong, you need to say, God, search me. Show me from your word, your design for a wife or a husband and show me how I can grow in that. And that's why even if you're listening to this today and you're thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not married. I'm a single person. I would encourage you, though, if if your desire is to be married, to look at, well, what will God call me to in that moment? Because there are certain attitudes that will be essential to you being a godly wife or a godly husband that you need to be cultivating now. 
Because one principle that I believe applies in this situation is as now, so then. The kind of person you are now will be the kind of person you are when you are married. Marriage will not magically change you. If anything, marriage will expose you. And if you are selfish or your your struggle with following leadership or whatever it might be, if you're struggling with those things now, marriage won't make it better. In fact, it will just expose the problem that is already there. So begin, if you're single, praying now. If your desire is to be married, God, work on my heart. Make me the kind of person that you want me to be so I can be a godly husband or a godly wife. Now let's look at what God says. And one thing, again, I'd want you to notice is this is actually the beginning of a section we'll get into in in chapter six as well that are sometimes referred to as the household codes uh, because it, it looks at three different relationships. First, it'll be wives and husbands. Next, it will be children and fathers. And then in chapter six as well, it will be bond servants or slaves and masters. And each one, there's a pair and one of the sets is supposed to be, I guess, in the position of authority or leadership. First, you've got, you know, wives being subject to husbands as leaders, children being subject to fathers, and then slaves being subject to masters. And what I want you to notice is you're going to go through this and it's true elsewhere in scripture that what you see to the wives and the children and the bond servants, there's some extent to which that would have been expected by the culture, where when people would read wives submit to your husbands, they would have said, yeah, that's, that's what the culture expects. But each time when it's going to get to the person that's in leadership or authority, in this case, in marriage, the husbands, what is said there would have blown the culture's mind. It would have been so incredibly countercultural. And so let's even begin there by looking at the husband's. This would have been something foreign to the culture at the time when it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So number one, this instruction that husbands need to love their wives, people would have said, what? What's up with that? That they would actually show care and concern and genuine devotion to their wife. And he's not just saying that, he's setting the bar as high as it could possibly be. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And this is where many men today, and if you're the kind of man that would be listening to a podcast called Revival from the Bible, I would hope already you have in your head some kind of thought that, hey, God wants me to be the spiritual leader in my marriage and in my family. If so, great, that is true. But what I want you to see today is do not ever, ever think that that leadership can exist without love. That leadership will not look like issuing decrees and orders and demands. It will look like self-sacrifice and dying to yourself every day. That is the example that Christ set. There's another comparison that Paul makes that I don't think gets nearly enough attention. In verse 28, he says, In the same ways, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Husbands, God wants you to love your wives even like you would love yourself. Your default answer to yourself is yes, unless there is some compelling self-control reason why you should say no. That that's the attitude you should have towards your wives. And your attitude toward them should never be harsh, should never be uh, careless. It should be described by nourishing and cherishing. Husbands, if I asked your wives, do you feel nourished and cherished and loved by your husbands? What do you think they would say? Because that is what God is calling you to do to love them, to nourish them, to cherish them, really to treasure them and to sacrifice yourself and your desires for them. And if you think, well, the biggest thing is I've got to be a leader. Just notice that's not exactly what God is saying in this passage. Yes, we know from scripture, he does want you to be the leader, but he wants your focus to be on loving and sacrificing for your wife. Now, wives, to you in verse 22, it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, again, the the culture would have been, yeah, you know, submit to your husbands. But what is uniquely Christian here is when he says, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So there is a uniquely Christian reasoning here. And Wives, let me just tell you that your husband is not perfect and will never be. And that's why this instruction is not based on that. It says, submit to your husband as to the Lord. And one thing you're always going to have to do is look past your husband and look to the Lord and trust in him. Now, obviously, if your husband is leading you towards sin, that that's not what it is talking about here in, in submitting in that way. But this is something that to do, you're going to have to look past your husband and see the Lord and see that he is in control. And you have to remember that ultimately someday when you die, you are not going to stand before your husband. You are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to think more about that day as you go through this day in your home and in your marriage. And Ultimately, what we see, I mean, if, if you walk away from this passage or this podcast, uh, you know, feeling really good about yourself as a wife or a husband, uh, we're probably missing the point that no matter who you are in a marriage, God is calling us to die to ourselves. That marriage, a godly marriage is really a race to the bottom. Each, each person thinking, how can I sacrifice? How can I lay my life down for the other? Because that is the picture of Christ. And at the end of the passage, it says, that's what it's all about. I'm really talking about Christ and the church. And even as Christ expects the church to submit to him, he showed that because he laid down his life for the church. And now the church should be seeking to lay down our lives to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Marriage is about dying to yourself. And so again, if you're single and listening to this podcast, there's so much for for you to apply as well in that. May, May God cause all of us today to think less of ourselves and more of Jesus Christ 
And as we do that, may that motivate us to lay down our desires, our flesh, to serve one another. And that is ultimately God's plan for marriage. Now, I want us to move on to our other passage in the New Testament today, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. And in this passage, one thing you will see is the familiar parable of the sower and the four soils. But I just want to draw your attention to one particular verse. It's as Jesus explains the parable and he talks about the seeds that falls among the thorns. In verse 14, he says, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. Now, what I want you to notice is it it says three things, the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And what I want you to realize is None of those things are bad in and of themselves. The cares of life, they're necessities. We need to figure out how we're going to eat and how we're going to pay the bills and where we're going to live. Even riches. I mean, money is essential to living life and surviving in this world. And even scripture never forbids riches per se. We know that, that there can be dangers with that. And the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, but riches even in and of themselves are not bad. And pleasures, pleasure is not bad. God created pleasure. And Psalm 16 says at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So cares, riches, pleasures, not evil things. But what happens is people are choked by those things, that those things become so big and so out of place that they choke out what is truly important, which is hearing and responding to the word of God. So I want you to think today, okay, what about the cares of your life, riches, pleasures in your life? Those things, we're not talking about inherently sinful things here, but do you see any of those things choking out even your focus on what is most important and most eternal? That is a danger that we must watch out for because we see some of these things, these plants aren't what is true and bearing fruit. This is one of the bad kinds of soil. So may we always be tilling our soil. May we be plucking the weeds when necessary to make sure that none of these things get out of place, choking what is most important. Next, let's go to the Old Testament and pick up the end of Psalm 88. And again, we talked yesterday about how this is a uh, an intense psalm and we break down some of the psalms and we're going slowly through the psalms so we can think and meditate about a smaller portion each day. And lots of times with psalms, what we might see is, yes, the first half is, is kind of depressing and the psalmist is talking about what's eating them and, and, and they seem really sad. But then the next day rolls around and we read the second half of the psalm and they find their hope in God and their perspective turns around and they end praising the Lord. Well, guess what? Psalm 88 is not that way. Psalm 88, you read the second half and it is just as depressing as the first. I mean, the last verse of the psalm is you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. You know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It doesn't end on any uplifting note. And again, I want to acknowledge that might be where some of you feel today. 
you, you might feel that things are down, things are low, and, and it's hard that you don't see something positive. And so what I would want to say to you today, if, if you are living Psalm 88 right now, I just want to remind you, you are not alone. You're probably not alone really in the world right now. There are other people feeling that way. And, and we see here people writing scripture in that same place. So you are not alone. And ultimately we know God is with you. And then the other thing I would want to encourage you with today is this is not the only Psalm. And I'm, I'm confident that keep trusting in God, keep bringing your prayer to him like the psalmist is in Psalm 88. And I'm confident that God will bring you and move you on to other places where even though the circumstances might not change, your hope in God is renewed. And even if you are feeling dark and low today, I would encourage you to go back to Psalm 86 and see another Psalm where the psalmist is pleading and bringing his cry to God, but is comforted by who God is. Finally, we want to talk about 2 Chronicles 13 through 15. And as we look at 2 Chronicles 13, we see the story of King Abijah and him, in this case, taking a stand against the northern kingdom and saying, hey, we are following God. And even though that the northern kingdom was bigger and stronger and had a greater army, God provided the victory. Now, let's not overdo it and pull some promise out of this passage that's not there. But may we be encouraged today to take a stand for the Lord and trust that that even when the odds may be stacked against us, when we take a stand for the Lord, we know that God will not forsake us. And then we start the story story of King Asa in in chapters 14 through 16. So we'll read that today and tomorrow. And it's a story that I find so intriguing of a king that seems to start off so well, but then end so poorly that I want to spend this Sunday as we gather around God's word at Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, to learn more from the life of King Asa. So hopefully I will see you this Sunday, whether online or in person at Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thank you.